Welcome to Who, What, Where with Hillary Kerr, your direct line to the designers, stylists, beauty experts, editors, and tastemakers who are shaping the ever-evolving world of fashion. I'm your host, Hillary Kerr, and today you'll be getting a peek behind the scenes of our March cover with actress Rachel Zegler and Who, What, Where beauty editor Katie Barone. Best known for her part in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Rachel's career is on fire. She's here to talk about massive upcoming projects like Shazam! Fury of the Gods, Hunger Games! The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and the new live-action adaptation of Disney's Snow White. Plus, Rachel's real thoughts about social media and her favorite beauty looks of all time. It's all coming up on Who, What, Where. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time today. So my first question is, do you want to just start by telling me a little bit about your upcoming projects? I feel like you have so much going on. Yeah. I mean, I've been very busy and very lucky. Past two years have been a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I emerged out of COVID, well, in the middle of COVID and made this movie called Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which comes out on March 17th, only in theaters, which is super exciting. You know, I play a very different character than what I've usually played and had just the time of my life with this incredible ensemble cast. And then after that, I came home, I put out West Side Story, obviously, and West Side Story came out, wonderful reviews, thank God. (laughs) And then uh, afterwards, I moved to London in January of 2022, and I lived there for six and a half months making this little motion picture called Snow White, in which I played the titular role, and it was incredibly stressful. I can't even imagine how it's going to turn out. I'm so excited to see it, but I just remember every day going to work, feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders, because she's the first Disney princess ever. That fact kind of gets pressed upon you at all times. (laughs) (laughs) And then the day after I wrapped Snow White, I moved to Poland to shoot The Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And then we took that production to two different cities in Poland and then to Dusseldorf, Germany, and then Berlin, Germany. And then I came home. So all of that is coming out in the next year and a half. We got Hunger Games comes out November of this year. Snow White comes out March of next year. Holy shit. (laughs) That's wild. I'm super excited to show everybody. I'm super excited to also see them for myself because I have yet to see any bits of Snow White whatsoever. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's intense. Definitely. Tell me a little bit about Shazam. How is Anthea is your character's name, right? Yeah. Many people think it's Athena, but it is Anthea. Thank you. (laughs) Of course. How is she different from some of the characters you've played before? I feel like a lot of the characters I've played before have a wonderful arc, but they're a bit straightforward from the word go. You take a character like Maria from West Side Story and you know that she's got a good heart, beautiful outlook on the world. She wants to bring two opposing groups together. It's just very straightforward. And then she learns a little bit more about the world as the story goes on. With Anthea, it's a bit more complicated because she's kind of lived in the shadow of her sisters for X amount of years. And her sisters, of course, are played by Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu. Ever heard of them? Like, (laughs) crazy. 
Just some little known actors. <laughs> yeah, just these like up and coming actors who they yeah. have promising careers. <laughs> and so she kind of thinks she knows everything about the world already because of the way that it's told to her by her older sisters. And then throughout the course of the film, you kind of understand that she has thoughts of her own and she wants to express them not only to the rest of the world, but to the Shazamily who she's come to know through different circumstances. So I've just really loved playing her because she was way more layered than I even expected her to be. And it just made me all the more excited to take on the part. What intrigued you about doing such an action heavy project? It was the fact that I didn't have to do a lot of action. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, you know, it's it's actually funny because I was kind of begging stunts to like, let me do something. But I really, I didn't do any stunts. It wasn't until I went to work on Snow White, which is, believe it or not, incredibly stunt heavy for me. And then Hunger Games, which is a bit more obviously stunt heavy, that I actually got to flex that muscle. A muscle I didn't even really know I had because when you're doing a movie like West Side Story, my only stunt was standing on a fire escape that was four or five stories up. And I had a stunt double for that day. And I was like, is this ridiculous? And it's not, you know, some people don't like heights. Some people are scared and have to wear a bungee cord when they're on the fire escape. But for this born right. and bred New Yorker, it felt a bit much. But on Shazam, I did not have to do any of my own stunts. I really only had one stunt which is in the trailer where I get like blown back from this bolt of lightning. And that was my stunt double. Her name was Maria, oddly enough. Oh, that's and funny. she was super cool. And she did it time and time again. I just watched her get slammed against concrete a bunch of times. And I would just run out in between each take and be like, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> and she was great. She was more than happy to do it. But I didn't really have to do a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to stunt and action work on Shazam. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Yeah. Do you want to do more projects like Shazam in the future? I mean, we've been talking about this recently because, you know, the movie's coming out very soon. And DJ Catrona, who plays superhero Pedro, and I were talking about it. And we're like, I just want to do a third one so bad. Obviously, the future of DC is unclear as of right now where the people who were here before the staff shift happened, we don't really know what's going to happen. And that's all good and fine. And we obviously trust James and Peter, who are now at the forefront of DC. But DJ and I are just like, man, just really want to do a third one. I feel like they could get into some real hijinks. Yeah. You know, and then whether or not I'd even be in a third one would be in question as well. However, I would love to see more movies like Shazam in the future. And I would also just really love to do some fun, lighthearted, like most of my career has just been me like crying over <laughs> dead bodies and shit. I'm just like really ready <laughs> to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So pivoting to Hunger Games a little bit. Yeah. Were you a Hunger Games book or film fan before you got cast as Lucy Gray? huge fans of both. Like I read all the books as they came out when I was a kid. You know, I went to my Scholastic Book Fair and got them. As soon as I could go see that movie, I would go and see the movie. I wasn't going to midnight screenings yet because I was a bit young to be out so late. But Sunday morning, I was there. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed. And when the book came out, it was the middle of quarantine in 2020 and then like early 2021. And we got one copy in my house. My sister read it first. She's like, Rachel, you need to play this part when it gets made into a movie. We already knew that Frances Lawrence had the directing spot. And so I was like, hands down, it's just going to be brilliant. And my mom then read it 
And then she's like, Rachel, you need to play it. So I'm like, give me that. And I'm like, it can't possibly be a part that is that good for me that both people who just read this book are telling me that I have to do it. And then I fell in love with it and I had to do it. And then when it was offered to me, I said no. But (laughs) then I took it. The point is I did end up filming it and I had the time of my life. What changed your mind when you originally said no? Well, you know, I said no and I sat on it for five months in regret because I kind of had said no because I had just moved away from home. I was in London and I met with Francis at the Soho Hotel with his associate Haiti. Those meetings, usually like an hour, an hour and a half. We sat there for three and a half hours and talked about the book and what he was planning to do for the movie because I was just so excited at the prospect of this book that I really enjoyed being made into a movie. Whether or not I was attached, it didn't matter. Like I just wanted to know what he was going to do. And then he told me that they were planning to shoot in Poland and Germany. And I immediately was like, I don't want to do that. I just (laughs) moved away and I missed everybody that I had left at home. And it had been only a month of being on my own like that so far away. And he immediately understood. I was very hesitant to lead anybody on. So I didn't leave that meeting with any intention of taking the part. And I made sure that he knew that before I left. And he was really respectful, totally understood. He's got kids who are around my age. And so, you know, he understood what it means to be far away. And then a couple months passed and a project that I was going to do got pushed to the next year. And I kind of thought I could handle another couple months away from New York. And I reached out to my agent and I said, what are the odds that Lionsgate is still interested in pursuing Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes with me? And he said, I'm pretty sure I could call right now and cause a real stir at their offices And that's exactly what happened. And I'm so grateful that they weren't pissed off at me. And and they were very, very gracious with me. And I'm so glad I did it. I mean, my boyfriend ended up in it. Before I even said yes, he had been cast, which was crazy. I got to explore the world with him and work with Tom Blythe, who's become a really wonderful close friend of mine. And all of these incredible kids who are going to become huge stars once the movie comes out. Very excited to see it once it's out. Thanks. (laughs) And then... With Snow White, were you a Disney princess fan as a kid? I was. I was a huge Disney princess kid. I had all of the costumes. Belle was my girl, mostly because she was like, we kind of looked alike. And yellow was my favorite color, and she had a yellow dress, and I was obsessed with her growing up. But my mom's favorite Disney princess was Snow White. So when that opportunity came, I was like, who am I to even flirt with the idea of not auditioning for this? Like, I have to do it. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be cast as Snow White? Oh, my God. I mean, I get so emotional. I've been to Disney a couple times since getting the part. I went to celebrate after I got it. You know, I've been to Disneyland when I did D23 last year. I've been to Disneyland Paris a couple times, too. And every time I go, ever since having been cast or having made the film, and I see little kids dressed up as Snow White, I burst into tears. It's like embarrassing. I will just immediately like cover my face and just need to take a second. And like, that was me. I was that kid. And if a kid watches that movie and knows who I was before I did it, where I was just like a kid who was singing at people's weddings to make money, your dreams are so possible and you don't even know that they are. You have no idea what you're manifesting in your childhood. 
And the fact that my message has always been kindness first. And that is something that Snow White was really like a beacon of when the cartoon first came out. Remember, you are the one who can fill the world with sunshine is her line. That's her. And like, it was all so kismet and beautiful. And what was really lovely about that whole experience, even though it was wildly stressful and so much pressure all the time, was that our director, Mark Webb, has a young daughter. And you could just tell day in and day out that he was really making this movie for her and treating Snow White so carefully because it was as if he were taking care of his own daughter. And in turn, young children everywhere are going to have a wonderful movie to watch with their parents and then as they grow older. And that's really because of Mark Webb, who loves his family so much. It all sounds very intentional and it feels like you're very aligned to the role. That's great. So we've definitely seen a few different iterations of Snow White on screen. Can you tell us what we can expect from this version? Well, you know, Disney's never actually taken on the live action, which is really a wild thing because it was the first full length. Disney princess movie. And I think what you can expect is not necessarily even the story that you know and love, but the girl you know and love who is very heart forward and kindness first. But also what happens in modern society with women who are like that is that they get stepped on by people who don't have the same intentions that they do. And what happens to strong women who are coming into their strength as they grow older is really what's at the forefront of the story here. When we meet her, she has lost her parents and she is being taken care of by the evil queen played expertly by Gal Gadot. And what does she do to become the leader her father, the king, always believed she could be? And she goes on this incredible journey and meets incredible people and sings incredible music. I cannot stress. <laughs> I just got a text from Mark Webb the other day. He just finished like the first rough cut of it, which is insane because we finished filming like eight, nine months ago. And he just said that Waiting on a Wish, which is her big I Want song, is apparently just a tearjerker and a lovely moment. And I can't wait for people to hear it and to sing it. And for all of the musical theater majors to sing it at their auditions for Carnegie Mellon. I love that. (laughs) I feel like the theme of all of these movies that we just discussed is it feels like you're working on movies that have some pretty dedicated fan bases already. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What does it feel like to step into roles like that? Do you feel a certain pressure? It's intense and you don't realize how many people care about who's playing the live-action Snow White until it's you. And then everybody has an opinion. You know, I think genuine, real fans love it regardless. They're excited because it's being made. You know, I take Star Wars as an example, even though I'm not part of the Star Wars universe, but manifesting. We are so lucky that X amount of years after the first Star Wars debuted that we're still getting movies and content and new characters and new stories And I feel that way about everything that I've been able to make. You know, if I were not an actor and I were sitting at home and having read Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I would be so thankful that 13 years later, I'm still getting a new Hunger Games movie. And no matter what they do with it, I'm just going to love it. And that's what a lot of the fan base has been to me, to Josh, to Tom when it comes to the Hunger Games. You know, DC fans are really going through it with this shift in the hierarchy and They're still really, really excited to see Shazam, which makes me very happy because a lot of hard work went into that film. And then when it comes to Snow White, there's actually no 
fandom as diehard as Disney people. And as a member of it, I can totally understand it. And then when you're standing in front of thousands of them at D23 Expo, it's like a totally different beast. And I'm really, really thankful at how dedicated they are to deciphering everything we say and everything we post and trying to make it about (laughs) their movie. You know, I could literally just say like, the sky looked really blue today. And they're like, okay, so she said the sky looks blue. Snow White wears blue. So this is probably a tweet about Snow White, which means there's probably a song about the sky. They're so dedicated. And all I can do is really just sit back and appreciate in all honesty. Yeah, that is really crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like you've had to grapple with quite a bit of identity politics related to your castings. How has that affected you? You know, at first, it affected me a lot. It was one of those things where I had to kind of learn that when you are two things, which I am, you know, my mom is Colombian-American, and then my dad is American-American. And so I'm Colombian-American and grew up in a culture that when you're both things, you're simultaneously neither of those things to both groups that you think you belong to. And that was really hard for me to grapple with at first because, you know, I got cast as Maria in West Side Story and I wasn't Latin enough. And then I got cast in Shazam and nobody really cared because she's a mythical goddess from ancient Greek times. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got cast as Snow White and then I wasn't white enough for them. And then I got cast as Lucy Gray in The Hunger Games, whose ethnicity is never explicitly discussed in the context of the book. And then I wasn't dark enough for them. And you just kind of have to give up at some point mentally, like give up trying to understand because you're never going to please everyone. And in turn, you'll never please anyone. And what matters at the end of the day is that I'm making movies that I really love to make while you're at home tweeting about how I'm actually Snow Brown and not Snow White. So you know what? I'm okay. I'm good. And as much as it's frustrating to me, I really can only express that These are a bunch of people who are really unhappy with themselves and they live on Twitter, which is even more sad. Anyone who spends that much time on Twitter probably needs a reality check. Touch grass. (laughs) Log off Twitter. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, what are the roles or scripts that you feel like you are able to get really excited about at this stage in your career? Do you feel like you can be pickier about the roles you choose right now? Yeah. I mean, that's really the word I love to use is I get to be picky because, you know, you're not always afforded that opportunity. I've been put in such an incredible position that I've also worked really hard for. I also have an incredible team who's working for me behind the scenes 24-7. And I've kind of been more interested in the smaller movies, the indie movies, and the true life stories that I will be hopefully able to tell in the next coming years. I've got two movies lined up this year that are a lot smaller and they're fun and honest. And those are the kinds of movies that I enjoy watching. I mean, I'm a movie fan in general. I will watch anything. I don't understand the uh, artistic integrity conversation about movies like Shazam 2 versus movies like After Sun. I think they're both wonderful movies. They're both entertaining. They have great performances in them. And there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes artistically that deserves equal amount of attention. So as somebody who just likes to watch movies, when it comes to the scripts that I pick to make, I make sure that it's something that I want to watch. And that's also my privilege. 
you know, obviously there are still the possibility of making like Shazam 3 or I don't know if there'll be another Hunger Games for Lucy Gray. But if there is, that would be fucking awesome. But I'm also really excited to kind of take a back seat and honestly learn more about how we make the movies that we consume. Because my dream is to be able to write and direct one day. And so I've learned so much from the incredible people that have physically made the movies and befriended my A-camera operators and my script supervisors. And really learning about the process has been so wonderful. And I think it's honestly easier to learn about the process on smaller shoots and more independently made movies. I'm really excited for that next era for me. Yeah, I'm sure it feels a little bit more intimate when you're working on those smaller films. Way more intimate. What does success look like to you at this point in your career? Success means being able to take care of the people around me to the best of my abilities. You know, whether that means being able to buy my parents a house someday But also, like, when I was auditioning for Snow White, I was living in Atlanta shooting Shazam. And I had just found out that I had to go to L.A. to meet with Mark Webb and have a screen test and sing for Pasek and Paul and do the whole shebang. And I was laying on the couch at Noah Centineo's house. Noah's one of my best friends in the whole world. And I started crying. And he was like, why are you crying? This is great. And I was like, I just want to be able to take my parents to Disney whenever they want to (laughs) go. And now I can do that. And, you know, it's a weird marker for success because it's probably seems so unimportant to a lot of people who are going to watch the film. Like they're not thinking that the girl on screen is just really excited about this because she can take her parents to Orlando, Florida. But being able to give back to these people who believed in me without any asterisk, when I told them that I auditioned for West Side Story, they didn't think I was insane. They made jokes about it because it was kind of hilarious that I just kind of came down the stairs and was like, so I submitted an audition tape for Steven Spielberg's new movie. And they were like, cool. And then they just made a bunch of jokes like, tell Steven we said hi. And I was like, all right. like, (laughs) And then cut to two and a half years later and they're on the red carpet watching me pose for a bunch of photographers who are screaming my name and they never doubted me for a second. So my ideal version of success is being able to give back to my mom and dad and getting to take them to all of these things. I took my dad to the U.S. Open, to opening nights of Broadway shows. I took my mom to Paris Fashion Week last year. My mom got her makeup done professionally for the first time when I took her to Paris. The wonderful makeup artist, Melu did her makeup for her for free, didn't have to do that. And those are the moments where I'm like, I made it. That's really great. Yeah. Well, you recently went semi-viral for your reaction to paparazzi in New York on Twitter. What is that kind of attention like for you? And do you feel like it's tough to kind of navigate the world as a more public figure now? It's super hard, but I also feel like if I cared any more, I wouldn't be living my life normally. Right. It's really like one of those things where people say like, well, if you live in fear, you won't live at all. And it's very true. Yes, there's a fear aspect when it comes to like a bunch of six foot five looking men with cameras that are flashing and they're screaming your name or they're just like hiding behind cars and just trying to get a snap of you coming out of like a cafe. It's a really terrifying ordeal to be in. It's something that is so brand new to me. It's so foreign. And it really didn't start until West Side Story started streaming on HBO Max and Disney Plus. Like it came out on streaming and then all of a sudden 
London became a bit harder for me to navigate while I was shooting Snow White. And I really have to laugh about it because I look the same every single day. And yet there is a photographer hiding somewhere in the West Village just waiting to get that (laughs) picture of me wearing the same fucking coat I was wearing yesterday. And I find it funny. And I'm glad that I do, because if I had any other reaction to it, I probably wouldn't leave the house. Definitely. So that went viral because of a tweet. Yeah. And I feel like you are pretty active on social media in general. Yeah. You're pretty vulnerable on YouTube and Twitter. How has that relationship shifted over time? And do you feel like it helps you connect to your fans? I'm ready to get rid of it as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. It's a nasty place to be. Twitter is like a cesspool. And it used to not be for me. The more you get talked about in a general sense, then the more people like to nitpick about every little bit of everything you say or your personality, how you look. I don't want any part of it anymore. I have those conversations enough with myself. You know, we all are insecure beings at the end of the day, even if you think that you're not. And then somebody will say one thing about your appearance and you immediately hyperfixate and it's over. So I don't really need that anymore. And I've kind of been like grappling with the idea of just getting rid of it for good. But I also don't want people to feel like they've won once I'm gone. So, you know, the profile may stay up. I just check it way less than I used to. I've gotten a lot better both on Instagram and on Twitter at just posting and leaving and not scrolling, not reading anything else because it's honestly depressing. I get my news from legitimate news sources and move on with my day. That feels like a healthy relationship to social media. Yeah. Well, going into your background a little bit, how did you first get started with singing? And did you originally envision your career going in more of a singing direction or an acting direction? I always wanted to do both. I always wanted to be in musical theater. When I was four years old, I saw Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. And I was obsessed and I just wanted to be a performer. I went through a lot of different career choices, though. As a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut and then I wanted to be a fashion designer. And I was really, really obsessed with watching Project Runway. I watched Christian Suriano win Project Runway. Like, I was a dedicated runway watcher. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Please, Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn, sign me up. And I kind of moved on from that and decided I wanted to perform when I actually got the opportunity to do so. So talent shows, I would sing. And then I auditioned for my first musical that I ever did was Fiddler on the Roof at the Theater League of Clifton in New Jersey when I was growing up. And I got cast. And I became really good friends with this full cast of like adults And they were all very encouraging to me. So I started taking voice lessons after that and kept doing different musicals and different shows in high school and over the summer until this audition notice for West Side Story was on Twitter. And I sent in a tape because my friend McKenna sent it to me and said, thank me when you're famous. And I thought it was so silly. I had just played Maria on stage. And so I was like, you know, I know this material. I'm familiar with everything. Why not? Like, what do I have to lose? And then it worked, which was fucking crazy. So truly, like, the things that I never planned on was my career going the film direction. Never planned on that at all. I was a Broadway baby through and through. Still, hopefully, it happens one day. But that was the full intention. And I auditioned and I auditioned and I was told no over and over when it came to auditioning for Broadway. And that's okay. I found my way. (laughs) And I hopefully will be able to make it back onto that Broadway stage at some point in my career. 
what would your dream part be if you were to get on Broadway? I would love to revive something, but I also am just a huge fan of original work. So maybe it hasn't even been written yet, which is even cooler to think about. Yeah, you could really make a role your own. Yeah. How do you feel like being part of West Side Story and working with a director like Steven Spielberg out of the gate helped launch your career? I mean, I owe Steven so much because he believed in me really when I felt like nobody else did in this industry. I'm so thankful for his careful, careful, caring guidance while working with me on that movie. I learned everything I know about filmmaking from watching him. I know everything I know about kindness in this industry from watching the way that he treats the people around him on his sets. And the fact that I was given such a platform for my first film out the gate is really unheard of. It's such a Cinderella story that you don't really hear about anymore. It's such an old Hollywood trope, I feel. (laughs) And so I'm insanely grateful for that entire group of people. And I'm also grateful that I was able to move on from that with a clarity that I could do whatever I wanted in this industry. As long as I was kind and I was well-intentioned, then things were going to work out for me. And that's exactly how it's kind of gone for me because my reputation speaks for itself. I've been very, very grateful to have learned those ropes from a great like Steven Spielberg on a project like West Side Story. Definitely. Fast forward 10 years from now, what would you have liked to accomplish? Oh, goodness. I'd like to have been on Broadway. I also just hope that I'm in 10 years still making projects of movies that I want to see and that I'm hopefully like writing and directing as well, because I really feel like there's a need for more women in the room. There is a need for more Latinos in the room. I really think that we can carve away for more representation in all marginalized groups in Hollywood if we work together. And so I kind of hope that in 10 years, it's that. I just really hope I'm happy and surrounded by love and that I never have to question whether or not I belong at the table that I have worked so hard to build. (laughs) So yeah, I just hope that that my imposter syndrome magically goes away. And (laughs) in 10 years, I'm super happy and sitting back with Josh Rivera looking at the careers that we've made for ourselves. (laughs) Well, imposter syndrome aside, I feel like you're setting yourself up pretty well. Thanks, Katie. That's really sweet (laughs) of you to say. (laughs) Of course. All right. Let's talk a little bit about beauty since this is our beauty cover. Yes. What does beauty mean to you in your everyday life? Beauty means feeling comfortable in my own skin. And it also means doing my shower and my skincare after my shower is my safe space. So that's really what beauty means to me is my little like 20 minutes of serenity that I get each day. And it's like just the calming feeling of taking off the day and putting on the night and going (laughs) to sleep. (laughs) What is your skincare routine like when you do that? My skincare routine It changes a bunch because I travel so much and sometimes I can't find the products that I need wherever I am. But I really love like Dior skincare, not just because I like work with Dior Beauty, which is a huge plus, but I really do love it a lot. They have their serum that I use. And then also they have like an under eye that I really love using as well as la creme, which I (laughs) just put a very thin layer on before I go to bed. And also like I had a really weird like scar on my collarbone and la creme made it go away. That's an advertisement for Dior right there. (laughs) Mystical healing powers. That's the power (laughs) of Dior. They're going to use that as a (laughs) soundbite. You're welcome. (laughs) 
What have some of your favorite glam looks been? I have been so blessed. I have had the best glam teams. Clayton Hawkins always does my hair so beautifully. David Von Cannon always does my hair so beautifully. Nina Park, Alan Avendano, Vincent Okendo. They all just do such beautiful jobs with my face. But I will say one of my favorites was my Grammys look. I loved the way I looked, especially during the performance because, you know, singing, you don't always make the most beautiful faces. And there was not a single frame of that performance where I was like angry about the way I looked. Shout out to Kale Tedder, who did my makeup for that. Really obsessed with that look. I really loved my um, Shazam Press look. We did like a content shoot at Warner Brothers and I was wearing this Alessandra Rich pink number that Sarah Slutsky, my incredible stylist, supreme fairy godmother put together for me. And Clayton Hawkins gave me extensions because I've been really sick of my short hair lately. And Alan did my makeup. I felt like a 90s Barbie doll and I loved it. That is really fun. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I stopped by the shoot for an hour or two on Tuesday, but yeah. I loved all the looks that I saw. Did you have any favorite looks from the cover shoot? I did. This like rainbow eye look that we did with a bunch of little gems on my face. I was living my euphoria dreams <laughs> and it was kind of crazy. And I said it to Kale while he was doing it. I'm like, is this my euphoria chic? And he was like, yeah, we're doing it. And I was so excited because I don't have like any makeup talent whatsoever. Like I can just cover up my spots and my dark circles and fill in my eyebrows. And, like that's it. So you bet your ass, I am not trying Maddie's looks from Euphoria at home by myself. You maybe have to call the <laughs> fire department. I don't know how something would get caught on fire, but it would. And <laughs> I don't want that to happen. So Kale gave me the opportunity and we did it. Those are my favorite photos of the day and also just my favorite look. I thought it was so cool. Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited to see the final products. Me too. What's your beauty inspiration? I just love like soft glam. And so whenever I see somebody, whether it be like Sydney Sweeney or I see pictures of Penelope Cruz, I'm just like screenshot that shit and send it to my people and just be like, this is what I want to achieve with my looks from now on, please. You know, I trust my team a lot. And so when it comes to beauty inspiration, I guess growing up, it was like Selena Quintanilla. And I was just obsessed with her like bold red lip and her brows and everything is just obsessed. So I feel like probably her still. Yeah. Have you ever gotten any beauty advice that's stuck with you for a long time? Mostly that it's just all about the confidence that you emulate when you're on these red carpets. I get a lot of people who actually ask me for the red carpet advice. And I'm always just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You just got to like feign confidence and it will come. You fake it till you make it. That's really like the greatest advice I've been given. Also, like Peter Phillips has done my lipstick before. And he's just kind of taught me about like following the natural shape of your lip and X, Y, and Z. And he just gave me really good tips that I've carried with me. And he's just an icon in the beauty world. So I loved that I got to have that moment with him. Definitely. Speaking of confidence, what makes you feel the most confident? Oddly enough, it's when I am at home, not glammed up, not anything, and just in my glasses, just like answering my emails. I really do feel like my most beautiful in those moments. And when I'm just surrounded by love, which sounds like such a cliche answer, but I really do mean it. It's a very important thing for me that 
it really always matters how I feel on the inside. And I feel like it will always reflect on the outside. No, I think a lot of people feel the most confident like that. So that makes sense. Yeah. If you could give your younger self any advice, what would you tell her? I would tell her to stay true to herself because that will never go out of style. And to understand that not everybody is your friend, but you can still fill the world with a lot of love and kindness and you will find your real friends along the way. I think that's what I would tell her. I love that. Well, for the podcast, we like to do a little lightning round at the end. Cool. My first question is, what's your favorite beauty product of all time? I love Glossier Cloud Paint. I really do. Glossier Cloud Paint is the future. (laughs) Bold or nude lipstick? Nude. But I always think there's a time for bold. I know a lot of people who like to pull off bold during their day-to-day, and I just can't do it. I'm more of a nude lipstick gal. Cat eye or smoky eye? Smoky eye. I still, to this day, have not figured out how to pull off a cat eye. Summer or winter? Summer speaks for itself. My mental health plummets in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I know today's so gray out. I'm like, (laughs) foundation or bare skin? You know what? I love to use like a cream contour. So I have to wear foundation because it does not go on my skin normally. So use a light coverage foundation. You have five minutes to leave your house. What's the first beauty product you reach for? My Dior lip oil. That stuff is very good. Who would your dream cast be for your next project? Samuel Jackson, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino. And it's three guys and a baby. And I'm the baby. (laughs) I love that. There it is, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) If you had an entirely different career, what would you be doing? I would be cooking. I would be in culinary school and then hopefully open a restaurant somewhere, I think. What's your favorite meal to cook? I make a really mean eggplant parmesan. Ooh, yum. Yeah, it's really good. That's everything that I had. Thank you so much. Katie, thank you so much. This was so much fun. A huge thank you to our March cover star, actress Rachel Zegler, and beauty editor Katie Barone. Make sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, I'd also be so grateful if you would rate and review us. If you have any guest suggestions or any other feedback, drop us a line at podcast at whowhatwhere.com or you can find us on social at whowhatwhere. See you next Wednesday on Who What Where with Hillary Kerr. This episode was produced by Hilary Kerr and Olivia Capaletti. Editing is by Natalie Thurman. Our audio engineers are at Treehouse Recording in Los Angeles, California. And our music is by Jonathan Leahy.